Let's join together for prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for that prayer, and we do ask that you would turn the lights of our understanding on so that we can appreciate more fully what we have in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ and what it means to be a part of that kingdom of his. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Let's turn together this morning to Matthew chapter 13. I was thinking of a great creative title for this morning's message. So I consulted Steve Dara and asked Steve, what can we come up with that would be really, really creative? And Steve says, how about more parables? Uh, That didn't actually happen, but it is more parables. And we're going to see three of them before us now, beginning with verse 44. Follow along as I read out loud, if you will, please. The kingdom of heaven, and this will begin the first of three similes. Does everybody know what a simile is? It's a comparison using like or as, as opposed to a metaphor that doesn't use like or as. And so this is the first one. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. Let me stop for just a moment. You can see the word again as it introduces verse 45. Verses 44 and 45 are two different parables, but they basically say the same thing. That's why the word again appears at the beginning of verse 45. And now we're back to verse 47. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. And let me stop again. There's an again there in verse 47. And this is a parable similar to the one that we looked at last week about the wheat and the weeds. Verse 48, uh, back to the net that was thrown into the sea. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers, but threw away the bad. So it will be at the close of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all these things? They said to him, Yes. And he said to them, Therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. Now, Matthew 13 contains either seven or eight parables, depending on whether or not you consider verse 52 a parable. Some do and some do not. I don't particularly see that as a parable. So uh, I'm seeing seven parables here in Matthew chapter 13. This morning, we're going to look at parables five, six, and seven, no matter how they're counted. First two parables, as I mentioned, speak of personally appropriating the kingdom of heaven. We see there the idea of obtaining salvation. That is, becoming a part of the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. I like to define the the kingdom as the rule of the king in the hearts of individuals. 
And to be a part of that kingdom, he needs to rule in our hearts. And so I see salvation in view here. And that salvation, that appropriating the kingdom of heaven, is seen here to be of supreme importance. And I believe that's the message of the first two parables that we looked at this this morning. The one in verse 44 and the one in verses 45 and 46. The treasure hidden in the field and this pearl of great value. The number one priority of life should be becoming a part of the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. So if there's anybody here this morning, already at the beginning of the message, and you don't know for sure that you've owned the Lord Jesus Christ as your king, that you've invited him to take his reign in your life, you don't need to wait another second before the message is over Invite the Lord Jesus Christ to be your King, your Savior, to forgive you for your sin. Invite Him to come into your life and make the changes that He wants to make. The number one priority of life. It's even better than winning a lottery. Europe's biggest ever lottery, the Super Enolato, stood at 66 million euros. Without a winner, the jackpot rolled over for six months. The amount was too much for an Italian man living on his old age pension to resist. Hoping he would be the long shot winner, he purchased a ticket outside of Milan. There's no way he's going to win, right? But then again, maybe, because I wouldn't be telling the story, would I, if something didn't happen here. On the day the winning lottery ticket was revealed, the man was preoccupied with the details of his daughter's wedding. The middle of the wedding, chaos. Some of you understand that word chaos with a wedding. The father of the bride forgot to redeem his lottery ticket. According to Italian news agencies, by the time he realized he had guessed the correct six-figure number, the deadline for claiming the jackpot of a lifetime had passed. He had forfeited a prize never to be repeated. What was in his grasp, it was reserved for him, passed him by. Feeling faint, the man who wished to remain anonymous was hospitalized when he learned that. But that jackpot of a lifetime pales insignificant to the treasure that we're talking about in these parables this morning. When we're talking about eternity, even the super enolato means very, very little, if anything at all. And that's why the parable of the hidden treasure is so important, and that's the point that is going to be made here very clearly. I want to examine each of the parables today by use of two questions, the same two questions. The first question would be, what is the simile? If you look at verse 44, it's very easy to see. The simile is this, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. It was not at all uncommon back then to bury or to hide valuables. We don't do that today. We have a safety deposit box or we put valuables in a bank or something along that line. But banks as we know them didn't exist back then. They did have bankers in name, but they were mostly money changers or loan arrangers, assisted by men known as tontos. No, that's another story. I'm sorry. Many... Wars were fought in this area at that particular time over a long period of time. 
So treasures, even food and clothing and furniture were often buried in the ground to keep them from marauding enemy soldiers. Here's what one writer describes it as. Over the years, the ground of Palestine became a veritable treasure house. When the owner of buried treasure died or was forcefully driven from the land, sometimes deported to a foreign land such as Assyria or Babylon, the treasure would be forever lost unless someone accidentally discovered it as occasionally happened. Well, we've seen our simile. What is the point of this parable? Those of you that have been trained in Bible Training Center understand that a parable has a point, has one point. So the question that will be asked is, what is the point of the parable? And the point of the parable to me seems very clear, and that is that the kingdom of heaven has extreme value and is more important than anything else. That's pretty clear to me. It jumps out. There's one particular point that is being made by this. You see here, the treasure was purchased in exchange for all the man had. He sacrificed all for the sake of that treasure. And it was worth it to him. You notice the word joy. It was his joy. It wasn't something that he felt, well, I've got to do this. He took great joy in doing that. And it reminds me of a verse that is well known probably to 90% of those who are here this morning. And that is in Matthew 6.33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. We don't lose anything when we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. I'd like to invite you, if you will, please, to start turning to Proverbs chapter 2. Proverbs chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. And as you're turning there, I want to reinforce the last verse, Matthew 6.33, with Matthew 16.26. What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? And again, all over the Scripture is the idea that there's something that is of greatest importance and it's God's kingdom. It's God's salvation. All these other things that seem to matter so much to everybody don't matter all that much to God. Proverbs chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding. If you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Once again, the treasures that we're seeking are found in the kingdom of God. They're found in naming Jesus as our King. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 and 10 establishes the principle once again. It's God first. It's always going to be God and the things of God first. Proverbs 3, 9 and 10 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. That verse 
And our discussion so far this morning reminds me of a quotation that is now a classic. It's probably a generation and a half old, but it's a classic right now. Many of you will remember this famous missionary, Jim Elliott. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. What is the priority? Well, the priority of this individual found the treasure hidden in a field. In his joy, he went and he sold everything that he had and bought that field. That's what the kingdom of heaven is like. It's like that kind of treasure that is worth everything else combined. And it's worth more than that. Question often comes up in this parable. It's only a one verse long parable, but it has a lot of scrutiny. The Bible scholars love to argue some points here. And there are some people who will ask this question. Was what the man did unethical? Found something in a field? Should he have not told the owner? And the owner should have been the one in possession of that treasure. There are a lot of people who will suggest that. Um, Here's how, this is a, a lengthy quotation, but one of the writers, I think, has put this in a good perspective, and it's good for us to think about this. He says it this way. It seems that many Christians are embarrassed by this story, thinking Jesus used an unethical act to illustrate a spiritual truth and thereby condoning other unethical acts. It seems to them that the man was obligated to tell the owner of the field about the treasure since it was on his property and therefore rightly belonged to him. The point of the parable does not involve the ethics of what the man did, but rather his willingness to sacrifice everything he had in order to possess the treasure. But what he did was not unethical or dishonest. Three points. In the first place, it is obvious that the treasure was not hidden by the present owner of the field and was unknown to him. Otherwise, he would have retrieved it before he sold the field. The man who bought the field obviously knew that the owner was not aware of the treasure or he would not have offered to buy the field knowing the treasure would not be included in the deal. In the second place, rabbinic law provided that if a man finds scattered fruit or money, it belongs to the finder. If a person came across money or other valuables that were obviously lost and whose owner was dead or unknown, the finder had the right to keep what was found. In the third place, the basic honesty of the man is testified to by the fact that had he been dishonest, he would simply have taken the treasure without any thought of buying the field. But he did not even use part of the treasure to buy the field. Rather, he sells all that he has and buys that field. So if anybody was uncomfortable by the ethics of this, I don't believe anybody needs to be. Now, as I mentioned, this is a one-verse parable. But again, there are those who will look at this and say, wait a minute, the view that I shared with you, what is the purpose of this parable to show us how unsurpassingly great is the kingdom of God? Clear, simple, one point in the parable. There are those who will maybe allegorize this a little bit, but there are those who do that that are well-known to us and well-respected by us. So I thought I should at least mention that before we go any further. The alternate view, a few respected Bible scholars hold this view. I checked with 19 sources 
three of whom hold this alternate interpretation. Now, Charles Ryrie is one who mentions both views, but favors the one that I've shared this morning so far, and here's how he puts it. The parable of the treasure and pearl, both of them, indicate the incomparable value of the kingdom, which will cause a man to do everything possible to possess it, But then he says, another possible interpretation equates the man in this parable with Christ, who sacrifices his all to purchase his people. Here's how Warren Wearsby articulates it in his belief. He says, this is the Bible exposition commentary. The common interpretation of this parable is that the sinner finds Christ and gives up all that he possesses to gain him and be saved. But this interpretation presents several problems. He then mentions a number of those problems, most of them dealing with the idea that we don't have to pay for salvation. And please understand that is not included in here in any view. Nobody believes that we buy salvation. We can't purchase it. It is a free gift of grace. Walvard and Zuck and Dallas Theological Seminary in the Bible Knowledge Commentary put it this way. Since the Lord did not interpret this parable, a variety of interpretive views are held. In the flow of this chapter, it seems best to understand this to be a reference to Israel, God's treasured possession. One reason Jesus came into the world was to redeem Israel so that he could be viewed as the one who sold all he had, that is, the glories of heaven, in order to purchase the treasure. Thomas Feigert is another one. He holds the alternate view as well, believing that the elect of all time are the treasure in this parable and the pearl in the next one, and Jesus is the one who is going to be finding and gathering. Now, as I said before, a lot of views on the other side, as I checked with, I think, 16 who would disagree with that, and I don't believe we want to make this an allegory. It is a simple parable making one particular point. And so at this point, as we've looked at the alternate view, and we've seen Charles Ryrie basically mentioning both but espousing the first one, Wearsby in the Bible exposition commentary is one who would suggest the alternate view, as would Walvard and Zuck, as would Thomas Feigert. I prefer the articulation of D.A. Carson in the New Bible Commentary. D.A. Carson, a well-respected theologian, and here's what he says. The parables of the treasure and of the pearl belong closely together and illustrate the wholehearted response which the kingdom of heaven requires. No sacrifice is too great, and no other concern must stand in the way of it. But the note is not of a negative giving up, but of joy and fulfillment. There is something about the kingdom of heaven which makes extravagant action the only proper response. And that, again, is the first view that I would also agree with. Joining D.A. Carson, just for the record, I know some of you are Bible scholars and some of you have been to Bible colleges and some of you are well-versed in the commentaries. Joining him and defending the view is the ESV study note, if you have an ESV study Bible, the NIV study note, John MacArthur and his commentary and study Bible, Craig Keener commentary, 
a commentary critical and explanatory on the Old and New Testaments, Matthew Henry's commentary, the teacher's commentary, Tyndale, Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown, Expositor's Bible commentary, the Geneva commentary, Biblical Illustrator, Adam Clark, Barnes Notes, and there are others that I didn't bother to to write down. I, I think the point had been made. But here's the good news. No matter which view you take, the point is still very, very clear that the kingdom of heaven is a top priority and it can be proven from other scriptures. It's a top priority for Christians and it's a top priority with Christ. Above all else, this kingdom of God is to be attained. And that's our first parable. Our second parable in verses 45 and 46 Same two questions, although a whole lot more brief. What is the simile? The simile is this. The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. Pearls were more valued in the ancient world than any other gems. You would liken them to diamonds probably today. What is the point? Well, the point is is the same as the parable of the hidden treasure. The kingdom of heaven is more valuable than anything that we own combined. You can put it all together, and if you could, trade that for the kingdom of heaven, and you would get a great, great deal in doing that. Again, a simple point in a parable. The difference between the two parables is that the first man seemingly stumbled across by accident this treasure, the second man went looking for it. So if we think about attaining to the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ, if we think about attaining to that, and that begins by being saved. We become a part of the kingdom by receiving the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. We understand there's only one way to be saved. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We understand that. Only trust in Christ. But there are ways that each one of us came to know the Lord Jesus Christ that are different from each other. We have different stories. We have different stories here in these two parables about how they came to be involved in the kingdom of heaven. One of the perks of being an elder, a trustee, a pastor at Alden Union Church is to be able to hear testimonies of new members. And we hear the testimonies and we're always amazed the different ways the Lord Jesus Christ made himself known to individuals and brought them to himself. We have another example of that before us here. A man who stumbles on a treasure in a field and another man who is out there trying very hard to find this great pearl of value, which ultimately he does. Third parable, beginning in verse 47, the parable of the net. And remember, as we read it earlier, um, as we see the simile here, what is the simile? It says simply, kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. 
There were almost 30 varieties of fish in the Sea of Galilee, so you could get a large number of different groups of fish. So what is the point? The point of this parable, a very simple point again, good and bad fish represent good and bad people. Very similar to wheat and weeds that we saw in the parable last week earlier in the chapter. The good and the bad will exist together until separation occurs at the close of the age. Bad fish at that particular time were fish who would have scales or fins. They were viewed as unclean. The rest of the fish could be classified as being good. So again, the meaning similar to the parable of the weeds that was unveiled in verses 24 through 30. We also again have the angels who will separate the evil from the righteous. And the unrighteous, it says again, will be thrown into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. If you were here last week, you may recall that I was speaking about hell briefly. But some people don't take these things that are written here very literally. Some people say, do you mean to tell me that there is a real hell somewhere and it will be a place of torment such as is described in the scriptures? And I mentioned last week, and I believe very literally what the scriptures teach, there are those who will water down hell to the point that it really means nothing. There's nothing really going to happen at the end. There is no judgment. There is no condemnation. There is no punishment for those who reject Christ. That's what a lot of people will believe. But I made this comment last week as well. If you take the description of hell in the Scriptures literally, or if you don't want to take it literally, you take it figuratively to mean something far less than that, no matter how you take it, you don't want to be there. You don't want to be there when there is a choice. Remember the man who lost the lottery? He lost a huge, huge amount. You don't want to be that man when it comes to losing the treasure of the kingdom of heaven. So that's the point that is made and the point that is reinforced. And when the scriptures talk about a fiery furnace also known as, if you go to Revelation chapter 19, verse 20, talks about the beast who is captured, that would be the Antichrist, and with that beast also captured the false prophet who in his presence had done signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped in his image. It tells us these two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. Well, Revelation 20:14 says, Then death and Hades were thrown into that lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. Other verses tell us that all of those who rejected the Lord Jesus will join them. If you don't want to take that literally, what does it mean figuratively? And what does it mean figuratively to be separated from God for all of eternity? And no, it's not a place where the good old boys go and continue to have fun and reject the Lord Jesus Christ. It is the worst imaginable. In fact, we can't even imagine what it's like. Weeping and gnashing of teeth. The parable points us in that direction once again. Weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's 
at least a picture of hell and maybe a literal reality of what is going to be there. Who wants to be in a place like that? No, it's not going to be all the good old boys lined up at the bar drinking, having a great time and saying this is what we wanted to choose to spend our life doing. Weeping, gnashing of teeth. That expression even is kind of repulsive. Looking at the last two verses before us here in verses 51 and 52, scribes trained for the kingdom of heaven. You can look at those two verses for a while before they start to make sense. Have you understood all these things? Jesus is asking his disciples. They said to him, yes. They had asked him particularly, what does this mean on a couple of the parables? Later on, we're going to find out their understanding is not 100%. But for where they are at this particular time, after seven parables, the Lord Jesus says, have you understood all these things? And they said to him, yes. And he said to them, first thing he says is, therefore, they were learning as they went, and he asked them that question, but he responded with the word therefore. That should tie verse 52 in with the other verses. It does, and how does it do that? Well, I like what the ESV study note says here in verses 51 and 52. Jesus is telling the disciples in quote here, that they are like the man who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old, in that they understand both the new revelation from Jesus and how it fulfills the old promises in the Old Testament. Another commentator puts it this way, if Jesus' disciples have truly understood his teaching, they are prepared now to teach others the value of the kingdom. And the value of the kingdom from the Old Testament prophecies to Jesus' teaching, it's all there, and it all points back to how supreme it is, how important it is to be a part of that kingdom. And so once again, we come back to a conclusion, the conclusion that we saw earlier in Matthew 6.33. But seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first. It's more important, not just than anything else, but than anything else combined with everything else that is there. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Dennis Fisher shares this story. In 1867, on a farm in South Africa, the 15-year-old Erasmus Jacobs saw a stone glistening in the sun. And this is a picture of Mr. Jacobs when he was older. The shining rock was eventually reported to a neighbor who wanted to buy it from the family. Not knowing its value, Erasmus's mother told the neighbor, you can keep the stone if you want it. Eventually, a mineralogist determined the stone to be a 21.25 carat diamond, obviously worth a fortune. You want to talk about treasure, this was one. It became known as the Eureka diamond. The Greek word Eureka means, I found it. Do any of you remember the I found it campaign? 
decades ago were the license plates with I found it. And anybody remember that? Oh, good. I feel younger <laughs> already. What did they find, those I found it people? What had they found? They found the Lord Jesus. Well, that's the translation of Eureka. I found it. And soon the fields near the Jacob's farm soared in value because underneath the land was one of the richest diamond deposits that was ever discovered. The Eureka diamond was the first diamond discovered in South Africa. They cut it down, shaped it to a 10.73 carat cushion-shaped brilliant diamond, and it's currently on display at the Mine Museum in Kimberley in South Africa. The discovery of the diamonds in South Africa led to the Kimberley Diamond Rush and marked the beginning of the mineral revolution. Jesus likened the value of being part of God's kingdom as treasure, going out and finding treasure, and that happens. But when we put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, a spiritual eureka moment occurs. And it's better than eureka diamond. It's I found it. I found the greatest treasure of all. And I trust everyone in here has found it. And if you haven't, there'll be a couple of gentlemen Pastor and elder, I'll be up front. Afterwards, we'd love to talk to you about that. What it means to attain to the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, where Jesus is really king. What it means to acknowledge, as all of us must do, that we're sinners in need of a Savior and in need of repentance from that sin. The greatest treasure that could ever be found is found in knowing the Lord Jesus. Now all of life, when you find him, can begin to see the value of becoming a joyous member. Remember the joy of the one who found that treasure, a joyous member of the family of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's our joy, every one of us who already has it, to share that with others, to share the joy of the greatest treasure ever. And remember again, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things, all of them combined, can follow after, but please don't make them the priority. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for that which the Lord Jesus shared in parables in parables that sometimes were difficult for some to understand because they were already resisting and rejecting and abandoning him. But thank you that the message is really clear, the priority of the kingdom. And may we rejoice in that. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.